Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Get On Board, a continuation of last week's episode because we still have more to say about Geek Way. So and we are going to do that. The Games We Played Part 2. Mm, you get the to listen to an hour-long session report. Aren't you just lucky? We're going to try... No, seriously. We're going to try to convey some of the joy of... What was that? 72 hours of straight gaming. Yeah. With a little sleeping. <laughs> so, Here Steven, what'd you feel? What'd you play? What'd you touch? What'd you try? Well, first, we, we showed up, went to the... Um, the grand library they had, mm-hmm. and what caught my eye was this game called Claustrophobia. Um, okay. Interesting title. Looked like it could be a fun, intense game, so I checked it out and played it with my brother. Took a long time for us to set up. About okay. An hour of reading rules, um, figuring things out, setting up the board. Definitely a bit of room for improvement there cards were referenced that hadn't been explained yet right and never were explained except in the glossary in the back so um but other than that pretty easy to set up and play um a dungeon crawler i you roll dice uh, one person it's a two-player game uh, one player rolls dice and assigns those results the other player rolls dice and assigns those results okay you take actions and um it, they have different scenarios so that's that's fun. Um, keeps the game fresh, I suppose, for further mm-hmm. playthroughs. Um, the scenario I played, I had to escape with my uh, party of four, and Evan was trying to take me down with his party of however many he could muster. Interesting. <laughs> Thanks to dice rolls. <laughs> um, I managed to uh, make my way out before he could do too much damage, and I, I'd say the game... Um, Ended about as quickly as it started. It uh, didn't really leave too much of an impression. Hmm. Um, would definitely play it again. I think it's a g- good for a playthrough or two. But um, someone came by at the end and said, hey, that looks like a fun dungeon crawler. And I said, you know, I guess it is. <laughs> and that's about as much as it'll stick with me. Okay. Did you feel now, like in Claustrophobia, one thing I was curious about on that game, did you feel like, okay, so you rolled dice and then you got to assign the dice. Mm-hmm. So I guess... I mean, I've never played the game, so I'm assuming, like, if a dice was really sucky for attack, you could use it for movement or something else. Or, I mean, did you feel like, was the intention of that mitigating your dice roll, or? Dice rolls were not that dynamic, to be honest. Um, My movement was only ever one or two, based on my dice rolls. Mm -hmm. Um, My attack was only ever two or three for characters, so... The, the dice rolls did not affect too much. Mostly mm. it felt like I was just taking my characters, trying to play their limited abilities. The abilities did not come into play as often as I felt that they should. Interesting. Um, but yet, it, it was a really like close finish, as you as I recall you telling me. It was me. definitely a close finish, but huh. I think that no small part of that had, a, had to do with a lot of questions about the rules in, yeah, in okay. general, um, about what was necessary. It The game said that once... My players reached the exit, the 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 game was over, and so mm-hmm. I treated it sort of as escape. As soon as I one of my characters reached the exit, I took him off the board. 
um, if he had to sit there on the board while my other players caught up, that might have led to a whole different story. He might have right. been eliminated. Right. Um, but mm. there was just a lot of ambiguity in the rules about that. Interesting. Um, mm. But it was fun. The miniatures yeah. were detailed and cute. Nice. Um, Very cool. Now, Tim, you own this one, right? You have this one? <laughs> Yet another own, but still in shrink. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, you have someone to teach it to you now. Yeah. And one of the coolest uh, titles for expansions ever, you know. De Profundis. Oh. I, I thought it would be like claustrophobia like, still shrinking in. This is like, well, <laughs> the idea of this is just it's a little bit, it's kind of cooler than I thought. Um, um, the, you know, the idea is that you're kind of in our medieval world, hmm. you know, 400 years ago or whatever, right. and that uh, somehow they opened up a portal. <laughs> well, <laughs> or, the like, concept was that man had conquered as much of Earth as he possibly could, and so constantly hungry for new lands to conquer we just travel to the gates of hell and so we start working our way through oh cool. okay, yeah so it's like one person is a hell player yeah is, is, is the humans and so. now that you bring that up i suppose that gets down to the core of my disappointment with the game it's called claustrophobia i never felt like i was backed into a corner mm. i really wanted to <laughs> fight my way out of something but yeah. i felt like my brother was just struggling to keep up with his little dinky minions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I still have yet to find a board game that gives me a great like Buddha 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 feel, you yeah. know, where you're yeah. where you just like. Uh, but that's why I'm really. Uh, it's another one we got to break out. League of Legends, but um, mm-hmm. not League of Legends. Uh, Mechs versus, versus minions. minions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do but it. But anyway, so that was claustrophobia. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very good. Then the next game I played was to? Merchants of Venice, which. Um, I've already I've already hit on or merchants and marauders. Merchants and marauders. Yes. I've made this mistake before. I'll make it again. <laughs> he did. Although because... I would play an open sandbox game about Venetian pirates. <laughs> I would. I mean you got your gondola and you're like find your blunderbuss at people. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> no, and it's not because he's played the board game Merchant of Venus. He uh he's also an interesting one. <laughs> Just a Shakespeare fan. It's because you, were, <laughs> yeah, you you played a key role in, in the play, um, in a production of this play, right? Yeah, but this isn't a segment of my dad bragging about my high school career. Oh, oh is that what I, I was bragging oh, well, about? Oh, gee, I'm in the wrong podcast. Again. I was here Sorry. for the theater. Dad, dad mode here. So, yeah, so that was your Merchants and Marauders. Merchants and Marauders. Okay. Um, okay. So, the, the, what I appreciate about not... The theme. Um, it's not just a pirate's theme. Yeah. There are plenty of games that have the pirate's theme. Yeah. Loot, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the pirate's theme is cute, but you had merchants and marauders. You mm. could choose to be a As pirate. As promised. Or, yes. <laughs> but you could choose to be a pirate, or you could choose yeah. to be a peaceful merchant. Yeah. Both had the upsides and downsides. Mm-hmm. Um, you could it, be attacked either way. It was very nautical, just mm-hmm. in general. And I think my favorite moment, which uh, stills got me bitter, but Evan was, of course, a pirate because he loves to blow people up. And I was, of course, a merchant because I'm risk averse. So I've got this fat merchant ship that's slow and lame and doesn't have weapons, and but it has a ton of crew and a ton of cargo. So I'm just <laughs> I'm this ripe, juicy plum ready for the taking. And Evan comes up in his giant ship, and he's, of course, got the largest ship in the game, most powerful, all the weapons. I've got this little merchant trawler, basically. The starter ship. The starter <laughs> ship, yeah. I had not upgraded my ship. I don't think I ever upgraded my ship. And 
he decides to board me, which all of a sudden gave me a fighting chance because I had so many crew members and I had really good leadership stats. So I was able to roll a ton of dice and kind of hang with this huge ship. And it came down to not only one die roll, but the tiebreaker rule for the die roll because we were locked in combat. Oh, wow. And here's the thing. I lost my beautiful Dutch captain who led me very well up until that point, died. I had to start over with a new captain. But the cool thing is I almost took down a man of war by myself (laughs) as a merchant. It was so cool. (laughs) I mean, even having lost, that was a dramatic story. But if I had won, oh, man, what a story that would have been. And if you're talking about claustrophobia, that was a game (laughs) that made me feel claustrophobic. I'm in my little pirate sloop, Mm -hmm. and I'm making my way around the board. And at any point, I feel reasonably safe, but then these admiral ships start making their way in and they start advancing towards me and that backs me into a corner where when evan just comes by and he has his man of war still yep Yep. (laughs) that man of war i'm trying to stay with um as far away from him as possible always one one turn away from him because yeah i don't want to get taken down again even though um it was remarkably not the end of the game if you got taken down. Yeah, you could, you could respawn. And yeah. you stood a fighting chance. It was a serious setback. I kind mm-hmm. of stalled out after I, I died. Mm-hmm. But we were pretty late in the game by the time I died. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, but... Zai is the same way in that it doesn't really punish you that bad mm-hmm. for dying. What, what I like about both of those games is that they're so realistic. I know Zai isn't realistic. But, I mean, in terms of... They they throw you into that world. The mm-hmm. game the game design was so ambitious yeah. that it gives you a lot of like this open world to play with. But then it does the thing that it should be least realistic about is that when you die, you just kind of respawn yeah. and start mm-hmm. again, which you should be able to do because yeah. otherwise, another it just thing that be fun. that Merchants and Marauders had that was super fun was when you killed a player. You could actually board their ship and inherit it, <laughs> oh. so you could actually take their <laughs> ship, which is super thematic. So you know, I mean. Of course, Evan didn't take my little starter ship, but if I had successfully taken him down, well, then I would have been a merchant sailing around with a man of war with five <laughs> cannons, and I would have oh, used oh, it fun. to trade silk. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was not, super cool. And we've not yet mentioned that um, the fr- the frigates, the admiral ships that come into play, are NPCs that we yeah, actually control. Programmed movement. And uh, so yeah, if yeah. at any point an NPC starts attacking a character... While one of the other characters who's yep. most motivated to take down yep. the player captain <laughs> can take control of the NPC and roll his dice for him. And oh, that's yeah. a fun mechanic. No, Man, you guys are making me want to play this game again right now. Were the Let's NPCs, just stop the podcast. Would the NPCs have been there if you had a full complement of players? Yes. yes. Okay, they so spawn. like Zaya, they're yes. always there. They spawn. Yeah. They're, they represent ships from the different European powers. Okay. And they target whatever player has the highest bounty from their nation. Gotcha. So if you are pillaging English merchant ships, for example, the minute an English frigate spawns, it's going to start moving straight towards you. Mm-hmm. So there's consequences to the pillaging and plundering that you mm-hmm. do. Um, but then, you know, even if you're a merchant, it's risky because there are event cards that mean two nations are now at war. So the English and the Dutch are now at war. Well, I'm a Dutch merchant, which means any English frigate in the region is going to target me because I'm a Dutch player. And so whether you're a merchant or a pirate, there's risks and these NPCs kind of target you and go after you. And it feels very lived in. It doesn't feel like, oh, now we have to move. In Zaya, you know, you can forget to move the NPCs if you're not careful. Right. In this one, it feels a whole lot more natural. Yes. 
just kind of the end of the round, everyone moves, and and the reasons they're coming after you feel very natural. Mm-hmm. Man, oh, I really enjoyed this game. <laughs> well, I want us to talk, the three of us to talk together about this, because this, this is so cool. We mm-hmm. got to play a great game that all f- together that all three of us have never played before. Mm-hmm. And it's just so cool because I feel like, you know, our, our listeners get to get like three fresh perspectives. Yeah. Are we, this is continuing with the nautical theme here. Yeah. Kind, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Captain Sonar. Mm. Now I feel like we, we have to say that there are two games that we reviewed or that we played here. <laughs> yeah. We played Captain Sonar, the, the turn version. based, Wait for freaking ever while the other side takes their turn which and you map will, out every little which bit you do and have move. to do to learn how the game works. Yes. You really have to try it that way. Yes, you do, but don't be put off if that's not your game. Right, because the moment it switches over to real time, the experience oh. is different. Oh, it was crazy. So, Captain Sonar, we should give a little summary, I guess, of this game. Sure. Captain Sonar, maybe you've heard about it. It's this game where sort of these two big screens are set up in the middle of the table, four people on one side, four people on the other. You have a captain who is barking orders, saying, go north. And when he says go north, you have an engineer who sort of marks off the part of the ship that was sort of exhausted by that movement. And then you right. have the, the weapons guy, I guess. The first who, mate. The first yeah. mate who kind of like charges up a weapon that yep. charges with that movement. And they, that was me. So, <laughs> so the, the engineer says ready. The first mate says ready. And then the captain so, you know, moves again. And um, the, the navigator all this time is trying to keep up with the captain's uh, the, the movements of the other captain on the other right. side who's saying, no, you know, right. north, ready, ready, west, so there's ready, a, ready. There's a giant screen in front of the table. You can't see what the other side is doing. You can only hear what they're doing. So he's got this transparent screen that he's drawing their movements on, northwest, east, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to position that over the known map and isolate where that submarine is in the ocean right? so that... The captain can then take the charged weapons from the first mate and make sure that they're not damaged from the engineer and then fire a torpedo and try to hit the the other ship and the first one to destroy the other sub wins the game. Yep. Yep. And so that's yeah, that's that's a brief overview yeah. of the game. So let's let's talk about that. Let's go back okay. to that maybe that well, however you want to do it. Turn yeah. by turn. Well that's what we played first. Yeah. Okay. Which okay, so I feel like I need to say something here because I think of the three of us, I liked this game least. Really? I liked this game. I liked it a lot, mm-hmm. but I feel like you guys really loved it. Oh. oh, yeah. So I feel like I need a couple more plays of the turn by turn before I'm ready to jump into the real time. What role were you playing? I played the captain turn by turn. I pl- Actually, uh. we, we played four players. So I played the captain, first mate, and engineer right. as turn by turn. So I got a good overview of the whole game. But when I played real time, I didn't understand... I was the first mate, and I felt isolated from the rest of my team. I didn't feel like I had much input because I was just charging weapons. So I could say, you know, a weapon was ready. But I think I was—I should have been listening to the other side more, right? And, and trying to figure out what they're plotting because I had the mm-hmm. least to do. So I enjoyed this game, but I wonder if it might not be better with four or six, even real time, just because with eight, what you're doing is really watered down for a couple of those roles. Hmm. I didn't mind. Um, I played captain uh-huh. uh, once and after playing captain, it was kind of refreshing to step <laughs> off. And and that's kind of what I like about it yeah. because this is not a game where you'll just play one of these. 
I mean, a right. game of this can be over in five minutes. Yeah, it's true. It, it's it goes super fast, and people will go. Let's go again, especially in the real time. And sometimes you're you're going to want to step off and just charge the yeah. weapons for a bit. That's true. But even in that role, I felt like that role was kind of important because I felt like I was the only one with a little bit of extra capacity to say, mm. uh, "The mines are charged, Captain. Should we drop a mine at this yeah. point?" Yes, good idea. You know, and he yeah. holds his fist up. You know, See, I was saying that, but so, my captain didn't listen to me. One hundred percent, the the role that has the most dynamic change between the, the turn by turn and the real time the is navigator. the the cartographer. I think he's yeah, called. yeah, yeah, um, the guy who's tracking the other ship, though. And that happens to be the role that I played exclusively. Um, mm-hmm. It just plays, and this is another thing about the game that I like: the different roles that are on the team set up for different types of strength. The captain has yes. to be a really good people person, very good at communicating and articulating right. what he's thinking. The navigator has to be very analytical, good at eliminating possibilities, which is right. something that's my strength. So I was kind of playing my own little game over there, right. and I gave input when I knew where the other team was and when I wanted to, them to right. be shot down. Mm-hmm. Um but that's a good point that different roles will appeal to different people. Mm-hmm, yeah. If you know the people you're playing with, you can kind of say, Hey Jack, you, you play the navigator. That'll really appeal to you. Or, you know, Bob mm-hmm. play the first mate. If you're, if you're looking to relax a little bit more or something, there are that's two point. super points of tension in this game. Mm-hmm. And that is that to me, just make the game so rich. It's when you're chasing down that other submarine or you're being chased down, right? But and and they fired at you. There was an indirect hit. They fired at you again. They barely missed, but you know that they know where you're at. But you've just charged uh, the silence, and mm-hmm. so the captain holds the fi- uh, up his hand, fist forward, you know, to stop the game and says right. silence. And every everybody goes silent as as a submarine drops. Yep. And we go forward four spaces. Okay. But then you know the other the other moment. Um, Oh, well, not just forward. You can go four spaces in in whatever direction. direction at that yeah. point, and the other ship knows crud. We've just we haven't lost them, lost them, but uh, just got a whole lot harder. Yeah, it's, it yeah. just got a whole lot harder, right? The problem is to do all that running. You've had to use a lot of actions, so yes. you're not too far from having to do that other really tense thing, which is surface. Otherwise, oh, your ship surfacing. is going to get too damaged. Okay, surfacing was something I thought was lame in the turn-by-turn that totally was different in the real-time game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It was lame in turn-by-turn because to simulate a real-time game in a turn-by-turn game, their solution was to say, well, when you surface, you lose three turns. So invariably what happens is the other team thinks really hard about those three turns and they're really strategizing, try to narrow you down, maybe get a missile shot at you before you before you go back down. And meanwhile, you're just kind of sitting there while mm-hmm. this is boring. And they're finding me. This sucks. I never want to surface. Well, in the real-time game, instead of that, you all have to draw a line around some component of the submarine on the engineer's sheet and initial it. So all four of you are frantically passing around the engineer pad and trying to outline this thing and you have to stay within the line so you're trying to rush but also be accurate and meanwhile it's real time so the other team's just taking as many moves as they'd like yeah that tension is so real yeah in in the real time game it's just so present and i remember you know not games that i was playing but that i was watching where you lost on the surface action Mm -hmm, right you're trying frantically to draw this line and you just finished and you're about to move and then the other captain says stop we're firing a torpedo yeah. And they just poof, nail you. Yeah. Oh, that's just so con- tense. Continuing on the differences between turn by turn and real time. Yeah. Turn by turn was frustrating for me um, because 
we were I was on the winning team for the turn by turn game that I played, right. and especially towards the end, we had backed them into a corner. Their options were few, right. and I had already even thought out, planned ahead what what they could possibly do and what our appropriate response should be, and we communicated this as a team. Right. But still, they wanted to make sure that they got the best option, gave themselves the yeah. best fighting chance. And so they sat there it took three, really long. five, seven yeah. minutes. And mm-hmm. that was just, it, it turned into like this game of chess, a yeah. slow grinding yeah. chess. It, it, it's a slow grindy super battleship that's actually yeah. thinky and, and has all the options you wish you had in battleship, except that you didn't account for the fact that it would take for freaking ever. Yeah. If, by the time that. I think the only time I would play turn by turn. It could be really interesting two-player. Yes. Yeah. That would be really cool. Because yeah. then you're just sitting there. It's like a personal battle, and you're managing every role. So things are inside your own head. So mm-hmm. it's just purely a deduction cat and cat game or mouse and mouse game. I'm not sure what which it would be. But, you <laughs> right. know, that could be really interesting. Otherwise, I would play the real time every time. That's an excellent point. The more mm-hmm. people you get, the more agreement you want to have about every single right. decision and the longer it takes. Here yeah. was the delicious thing to me. The real-time version of Captain Sonar solved a problem that appeared in the turn-based version and a problem that is very, very prevalent in most co-op games. Alpha player. Alpha player. Yep. In When I was captain, I had plenty of people leaning over telling me, nope, you should do this, nope, you should yep. do that, nope, you should do this, no, you should do that. I'm thinking, okay... All of these, you know, are decent decisions. <laughs> you should be. I've got to make a call here, so I'm gonna. But when, when, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just right, everybody's. Right. Everybody has There's that extra time to be invested, yeah. and so they're gonna look at your board and try to, you know, try to give you advice on what to do. Exactly. When you're in turn based, you don't have time. Nobody yeah. has time. You're when you're captain, in real time, you make calls. You're the, yeah. you know, you're 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 the cartographer. You cart <laughs> and you cartograph. <laughs> you know, it's just. It, Everybody has to do their role. The I think the only person has that little bit of extra time is that uh, first, first mate. mate. Yeah, but that that's it. And, yeah. and if you don't, you're going to screw things up. Yep. And again, the, another problem that it solved was the real time solved the analysis paralysis problem mm-hmm. of if they even sit there for a minute thinking about what they want to do. Your shot. We, yeah, <laughs> we can take them yeah. down. That yeah. that could be the game. Yeah. Just punishing them for sitting still. Oh, I love that. I love that. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna this is a geeky request. This is out of the middle of nowhere, guys, but this thought just occurred to me. Captain Sonar makes me feel like when I'm watching Star Trek Next Gen and John mm-hmm. Luke Picard is on the bridge right? breaking orders mm-hmm. and everybody yeah. and I'm thinking, would this not be cool themed if they could theme and get the mechanics oh, Star to Trek a Star Trek theme? I would play the oh. heck out of that. Mm-hmm. I would play the heck out of that. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> and do that. I'm I'm dead serious right now. I'm gonna go home uh, and retheme that. You get the cool L cars interface, all the cool you know touch panels. You just blew my mind. You just straight up blew that my mind, Tim. Wow. Okay. I think that would also make it a lot easier to find people willing to play. Yeah. Because yeah. not find everyone was into Battleship, but right. true. most people love yeah. Star Trek. Right. Well, hey, Stephen. Let's. Uh, it's been great to have you on the show. By the way, this has been awesome. I well, love the you. dynamic with three. You've got some cool stuff to say. I love hearing the con from your perspective. Super cool. So yeah. let's grab you for one more game impression before you go. And this is your impression uniquely, because this is your type of game for sure. Um, and you, you had me try it. 
And I'm, of course, talking about Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. No, no, you're talking about Bob, Bob Ross. Ross, The Art of Chill. Well, you made that game special just by your being there. <laughs> Why, thank you. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so, so tell us about accident, Art of no. Chill, this Bob Ross game. Um, it's a theme. That is a theme. <laughs> it's unique. That's that was for sure. in the Play and Win library, yep. and there must have been about eight copies of it. There were about eight copies of every mm-hmm. game, but I went in many, many times looking specifically for that game, and it was never there. Yeah, when that I was found out a it, lot. It was just because someone had just put it back. Yeah, <laughs> I could grab it. Yeah. Um, mm. not the reason being not because it was such a well-designed game. It it had its merits, but the theme is just so relaxing and yeah. so I feel like it's almost anti-board game-ish yeah. um, that everyone enjoyed playing it. So right. you start, and the, the main mechanic of the game is there's a draw pile of cards, art supplies that you have to take, gather, and play to your palette. Uh, each card has a paint on it and a brush, right. and you can use either side. You play paints to your palette, and there's a canvas that you're trying to match, and you paint different features on it by discarding the cards. It's it's super simple. Right. Um, a few other mechanics that get you extra points as well. Chill points, they're called. Chill points. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> I right. I love it. So at the beginning of your turn, you roll a dice and um, resolve the result. One of the results is Bob Ross himself. Yes, um, you can roll a Bob. <laughs> you roll the Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and the bob tracker moves along the canvas. Yes. And once he reaches the end, you flip and you start painting an entirely new scene. Yeah. Um, no hand limit, of course. It's a chill game. Yeah. Um, I played it once, and the first time it felt really good. It felt very evenly measured. The second time we ha- had an interesting problem where no one rolled Bob Ross, even though um, you're supposed to roll him statistically half the time yeah i think and he's three yeah he's three faces of the yeah, die that you rolled. nobody rolled him nobody was rolling him huh. so we only ever got through a canvas and a half and then we we all thought that we were being smart by stocking up on cards but um because no one ever rolled a bob we each had a third of the deck <laughs> and wow. then it just uh stagnated the game and so i would say it was a fun game it was a bit of a goofy game mm-hmm. um and a great play if you're just looking for a casual experience. Yeah. Now, is it did even though it says the art of chill? I know I didn't play this. Mm-hmm. this is a disclaimer. This is why I'm asking. Like, did it really? Was it really chill, or was there still like this drive to compete and win in it? Well, that's the thing. You are rewarded if you are the first player to paint a feature on each painting. So I was definitely doing a lot of looking around. How many, how, how, how close are the other players? Exactly. What can I paint before they manage to, but you also get an equal reward if you paint it before Bob does. So the Bob tracker is moving along and about a third (laughs) of the way through the canvas, he, he finishes his painting of the mighty mountains. So if you paint the mighty mountains before Bob does, well, you get yourself an extra two points. Huh? (laughs) Yeah. So, so would you, I'm trying to figure out, cause to me, it seems like this is a game for people who are looking for a non-threatening, relaxing activity. And it is. Okay. It is. Because here's what I would say about the game. So Stephen did get me to try this. This is a perfect game to try at a convention because <laughs> it really is the type of game I would never touch. <laughs> Otherwise, um, I'm, not, I, I'm not even a 
huge Bob Ross fan, if that's possible. But, you know, I tried the game, and I enjoyed it. And I think if you play it as a chilled-out, relaxing game, you'll have a lot of fun with it because mm-hmm. it is cool, and it's it's good for five or six plays. But I think what held it back was that one die, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, because before every turn, you roll that die, and you can either move Bob, you can do an extra action on your turn, or you get to just straight-up draw a card. And the problem with the game is moving Bob progresses the game but doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. So moving uh, Bob progresses the game and helps the other players because if on their turn they roll and get an extra action or roll an extra, get an extra card, well, then they're helped without having to push the game forward. So I would almost like it better if Bob moved every turn or something like that mm-hmm. because, yeah, that die roll was just so unpredictable and it just made everything very random. So I guess if you really leaned into it and really chilled out, that wouldn't bother you. Yeah. But I also think you could have... I would have liked to see them put a little bit more thought into that part and actually come up with a very lightweight game that is chilled out and fun without necessarily being super duper random. But as far as relaxation levels went, it was as relaxing as Dixit for me. I couldn't mm. take it too seriously at any point. Yeah. And I think what really sells the game is its aesthetic. Yeah. Um, not again. Oh, it was so cool, that little easel on the yeah, It had yeah. an actual yeah. easel. It had that a was whole cool. stack of paintings that were Bob Ross remakes. Wow. And yeah. They were so beautiful. Happy that made little me clouds. feel like an artist, and I can't hold a paintbrush for anything. So. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, I think my conclusion is I'm just not chilled out enough to enjoy this game. <laughs> I just wanted to make it competitive. So you just want to beat the devil yeah. out of everything. <laughs> just wound too tight, you know. I just suck the joy straight out of Bob Ross. The art of chill. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, have we? Have we squeezed you for all of the knowledge of Gen Con? I'm not Gen Con, sorry. Geek Way to the West gaming that you've Geek done. Way to the West. Um, another game, there were a couple of other games actually that I did uh, have a chance to play. Oh. One is, um, might offend your sensibilities calling it uh, a game at all, but it was called Suspend. It, um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. I forgot this that you played this. this. Is a cool acti- it's a cool activity, a cool <laughs> a game. A cool activity, yeah. not, not very much of a fun game. So you saw um, you have this uh, metal a metal rod hanging up into the air, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of like a pickup sticks thing. You have these interestingly shaped different notches, sticks, that you have to balance on top of this metal rod. Yeah. Um, the game has a few different variants. You can play it um, just where each player has a certain amount of rods and you play all of the rods. And if you're the first to get them all up onto the thing, then you win, mm-hmm. um, which is a very straightforward, not very fun game, and at least in my opinion. Um, the second variety is that you roll a dice and depending on the die result, you get to put a different color rod and you have a certain amount of each color rod, and um, you're putting them up there. If you knock any rods down when when you are um, placing your own, then you have to take all the rods that you knocked down. And so it's not huh. infrequent that someone will uh, breathe too heavily or something <laughs> while they're putting their piece away, and they knock the entire structure down, and they're stuck. But the way the um, second variant balanced that was that um, I did very well. I only ever had... By the end, I only had one rod left, but that was half of my game was just trying to roll a dice and hit that five so that I could put my rod away and yeah. call it quits. Um, 
which can be kind of annoying um, if you're just waiting for a die result. Um, even though you do get to play a rod each turn because you have to play someone else's rod for whatever die result you roll. Oh, I see. Um, Interesting. So I'd say it's, as pickup sticks goes, it's a, it's a very balanced pickup sticks, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, not not a very competitive game by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I'm trying to think of what else is on your list. But I, I know what's on I, this I, list. I think it's the very last game we played, isn't it? No. No, I, oh, there's one more. Yamatai. It's, oh, it's oh, Yamatai. Oh, I thought Yamatai. you were going to talk yeah. about Memoir. Let's talk. So, oh, Memoir. I yeah, you're here for the, okay, you're here here for the for whole thing, good. bud. You aren't getting rid of me <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, we, we, we're not. We were just going to drop you in the front end, but we're going to go the whole mile here. a lot. I didn't play that one. So Yamatai. Yeah. That was one that you taught me. Yes. Andrew, so why don't you open this one up? Okay, so Yamatai is the successor to Five Tribes, if you've heard of that game, by Bruno Cathala, put out by publisher Days of Wonder. Both games are gorgeous. And this is kind of, people have described it as a spiritual successor to Five Tribes. <laughs> and eh, I don't really see the connection very strongly there. You know, Five Tribes has that Mancala-style mechanic the closest connection is that in both games you're interacting with pieces that nobody owns. They're communal. Right. So, but in Five Tribes, you're picking them up and removing them from the board. In Yamatai, you're adding them to the board. So what you're doing in Yamatai is you're trying to build these buildings on these different islands. And you build buildings by sending cargo boats out around the buildings. And the cargo boats are all different types of cargo. So bamboo, gold, brick, wood, all these different types. And then once you have the right combo of boats around an island, you can build a a building there. But the catch is no one owns the boats. So if that combo is there, if you drop the you know the last two boats and maybe don't build the building or open up a, a possibility on an adjacent island, anyone can go drop a building there. So the boats are communal. And as soon as there's the right combination for one of the buildings around an island, someone can build there. So what you're trying to do is build buildings for points. You're also trying to hire specialists that give you unique powers. And I think the game ends when someone's built all their buildings or when all the specialists have been bought. So it's pretty simple, but it's this kind of puzzle across these islands of laying boats out, trying to, you know, make sure that you can complete the best spots to build the most valuable buildings and, yeah, walk out of it with the favor of Queen Himiko or victory fans. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Five Tribes had... Um, it was a very interesting mechanic in Five Tribes mm -hmm. because I was among the group of people that said, I get this, I see this, right. I don't see the problem with this. But you had a lot of people who that that Mancala mechanic of, of right. picking up all the cubes and dropping them off and laying yeah. them they looked at that board and they were overwhelmed yeah. with it. Uh, is that kind of what they tried to resolve? Is Yamatak kind of like an attempt to make a more accessible similar i get that they're not the same but yeah. sort of similar kind of puzzle i really wouldn't compare them at all okay. i really don't think Cathala was trying to to reproduce anything from five tribes the key mechanic of yamatai what you're trying to manage and this is more easy to grasp than five tribes mm -hmm. the turn order is connected to these tiles and each tile will give you a certain number of boats and a special ability for that turn and the better the tiles get the farther back in turn order they are. So there's 10 of them, and each turn you'll flip over five, and then each of you will pick one of those. So for example, the first player, the number one, all it does is give you a green boat, the cheapest boat. 
So it gives you very little, but you've locked down first player next turn. So maybe you look at the five that are out and say, okay, the next turn, some really good ones are going to come out. So I'm going to take the one, even though it just gives me one green boat, then I'm locking down a good place for next time. So that's interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting because all you can do after you've taken that tile is purchase one boat from the from the supply. So all you have to place on your turn is whatever your tile gave you and that one boat you optionally can purchase. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty limited. So if you want if you need to finish a building combination around an island and plop a building down, maybe you will take the 9 because it gives you a black boat and a red boat. Mm-hmm. And then you could buy a green boat and you can finish the combo around the island. Or, you know, maybe you're going to bide your time or maybe you can take the 1 Take just the green boat, and that last green boat is all you need to drop a, a double money building on an island and pull in some money for your chain of buildings. So there's that really interesting tension of which turn order do I want, but also which ships do I want, because I can't just buy them willy-nilly. I'm beholden to what this tile gives me, yeah. but it's also my turn order. And that, to me, is the most interesting part. So I don't mm-hmm. know, Stephen, if you have different impressions, but that's the part I love is picking that turn order kind of. I thought overall it was a very enjoyable game. Mm-hmm. Um, my playthrough was very interesting because I took an uncharacteristic approach for me. <laughs> and instead of trying to uh, find the game's weakest mechanics and abuse them for the most victory points, I wanted to taste a little bit of everything. So right. I saw four ways to get points slash victory points. And victory fans. Victory fans. <laughs> and... Um, I tried to sample a little bit of everything, and sure. I scored well in the end, but I yeah. think you really need to commit yourself to one path yeah. um, in order to win the game. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as that turn order mechanic goes, I thought that was very well done because yeah. um, a couple of times when, by the time it got to my turn, I didn't have the cream of the crop to choose from, but um, I knew that next, ter- next time, by golly... <laughs> I would get a better tile. Right. I would maybe slingshot me to victory a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would say about the game is it's not a multiple paths to victory game so much as it is you have to work on the buildings mm-hmm. and then the other stuff can help you out. So you kind of have to focus on the buildings. Everyone kind of has to focus on the buildings. You know, I have a friend who's tried to play it and every time he's tried to play it without building a single building. Mm-hmm. And he's done okay. He's finished second, I think, and third once. He's just bought specialists or just collected money or something. Huh. <clears throat> but you really have to, yeah, you really have to build some buildings because because the end of the game is whoever has built all their buildings, that really gives you a lot of control over the game state, having buildings out on the board, having mm-hmm. the ability to end the game and maybe not, or rushing the game end, which is what I did when we played. You so, know, that's an excellent point. I was very near you in points, mm-hmm. although I had only placed a couple of buildings. Mm-hmm. But since you controlled the game end, you you get ahead in points and you win the game right <laughs> before anyone else has a chance. Yeah, to it's like I'm done. <laughs> build an empire yeah. right. of these boats. And there's no end game scoring or anything. I mean, what you've got is what you've got. So you've kind mm-hmm. of got a sense of what everyone has yeah. based on their specialists and their buildings. And then there's a couple thing special things that give you just one off fan points that you add to your total hmm. so if i had had two turns more i would have taken you man you would have <laughs> yeah so that's why i had to end it <laughs> well i would like to talk a little bit about a game i already talked about a little bit but i'd like to talk a little bit more about this game which i only liked a little bit 
By the way, this game has a lot of little bits. It does have a lot of little bits, <laughs> so. actually. So uh, this is Clans of Calzones or Clans of Pepperonia or I Must Just Be Hungry. Uh, clans of, what's the actual name? Caledonia? Caledonia, right. there we go. Clans of Caledonia. This is the new hotness Euro game. And I'm not quite a Euro gamer. Not a traditional Euro gamer and what Tim you would say call a that. Euro game. You don't want to... You say that you're being you're being drawn into the world a little bit. I you know, if I'm going to like a Euro game, it's got to be high interaction. It's got to be in your face. It's got to be, you know, tightly coupled mechanics that all work together. Stuff like Lancaster, Tigris and Euphrates, which I still maintain is a true Euro game, Mm. despite your disagreement. But all that to say, Clans of Caledonia is a engine building game in medieval Scotland where you are trying to get workers out on the board and build breweries and cheese factories and also cows and sheep. And the main thing you're trying to do by building this empire of uh, processed foods is fulfill (laughs) these contracts, which are going to give you points in a variety of ways. So they'll give you sugar points or tobacco points or just straight up hops points, which are just straight one-to-one. And then the value of those points is dependent on how many sugar, tobacco, or uh, what's the third one? Cotton. How many sugar, tobacco, or cotton contracts were actually fulfilled throughout the game? And whichever one has been fulfilled least is worth the most, and whichever one has been fulfilled most is worth the least. And that's pretty much it. But a whole lot going on. A whole lot of building things to to build bigger things to It was the contracts contracts that gave you points. And, oh, there were some round-end things, some specific round-end yeah, bonuses. Right. Yeah, round-end bonuses. Yeah. That was the other thing that we would fight yeah. for. And then money it. and goods at the end were worth, you know, a pittance. Right. But, yeah, so I ah, I was interested in this game because I've heard it get a lot of good buzz. You know, Secret Cabal talked about it, and they really liked it. So I thought, well, I'll try it. I'm at a convention. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone a little bit because normally, you know, two-and-a-half-hour Euro game, that's uh, a tough sell for me. Mm-hmm. So, Lisboa notwithstanding. <laughs> so, yeah, so we tried Clans of Caledonia. And, Tim, I think you really enjoy this one. You know, I was having a little bit of trouble wrapping my mind around it at first, but it kind of had some things I liked about other games. First of all, mm-hmm. it is unquestionably, a, now I wouldn't say a spiritual successor. No, that would not be. But it It's was, an homage to. It's an homage it's an homage. It was definitely inspired. It it drew a lot of inspiration from Terra Mystica. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so it, it and it had a lot of it. It clearly the designers liked certain elements of Terra Mystica, but wanted to see them be more uh, elevated. Yes, like one thing, a complaint I have about Terra Mystica, and though I love the game, mm-hmm. is that it never really feels cramped enough. Yeah, and uh, they really made the area control in this one feel like a knife fight. Yes. Which, that's my favorite part of this game. That's the right. only reason I'm willing to give it another shot, was the area control. It was very good. But what they did was try to simplify Terra Mystica's, all of Terra Mystica's various methods of scoring points yes. into, they tried to distill it down into these contracts, which, right. actually, thematically, I get. Right. You're an agriculture, people are placing orders, you're producing the stuff they right. need, you're selling it to them. Like, that part I get. But in the end, it wasn't quite enough. And then I still don't understand. Now, granted, we, we're not reviewing this game. No. We play a game five times before we review it. So 
one play is not enough for me to judge this game. Right. But that whole thing where like based on the based on the the uh, types of veggies or whatever they were on the contracts. Yeah. They would move up the track and then they would become yeah. worth less than the other things. Yeah. Like I didn't see how that was even like I never thought about controlling those. Mm-hmm. I was just more concerned. And I didn't feel like that. That almost feels like a dangling mechanic to me. Yeah. Like something that doesn't really make much difference yeah. in the game and nobody's going to pay attention to. Yeah. So what's the point? You know what would have made the game twice as good in my mind? So because the value of those three goods is variable, whichever one is shipped the least is worth the most, and whichever one is shipped the most is worth the least. Because they're variable, you can't score those contracts until the end of the game because you don't know how much those things are worth. What I would have almost rather seen was fixed prices for those guys and then scoring as you fill the contracts because then you actually have a good sense of where everyone's at in the game. You have a good sense of how you're doing relative to everyone else. One of the things I really hate about games is when they have some scoring throughout the game, but it's meaningless compared to the abundance of points you're going to score at the end. Uh-huh. It's not like Concordia where you score no points until the end. It's it's that you score some points during the game and even a significant amount of points. You know, I scored 50 points during the game. But when the final score is 170, well, it doesn't matter because how everyone is doing is really tied up in those face-down contracts. Right. So I'd rather see one or the other. Either make it all points scored during the game so I can track how people are doing and kind of adjust my strategies and targets accordingly, or make it all at the end of the game. Don't give me any false hope <laughs> throughout the game. You know, I led quite significantly on the score track, but then I sucked at the contracts, so I got blown away. Yeah, that whole scoring mechanism of the three different special goods felt really clunky. In the end, I, I want to play Clans of Caledonia again. Can, I do too. Clans of Caledonia, Clans of whatever. Clams of California. Clams of California again. <laughs> um, the thing, there is something that... That would prevent me from buying it completely. And Are you going to moan about the price? I am going to moan okay. about the price because I think it's important. It's justified. There, there are some games where I just I, I won't even look at it. Look, Lisboa is an expensive game, mm-hmm. but what you get is absolutely amazing. You get these yeah. layered player boards. Yeah. And and right now, Lisboa costs about five to ten dollars more than Clans of Caledonia, which is in a small right. box. And I get it. I'm glad they're not. I like this idea. Move towards the smaller boxes. Right. We don't need all the dead no air. shelf tax. But that it's the, the small box isn't the problem. It's what's in the box. Mm-hmm. It's a board, some contracts, and some wooden meeples. I felt like it. everything in Clans of Caledonia could have been 15% larger, and it would have felt like normal size components. It felt like I needed right. tweezers. Right. Yeah, all the meeples were the tiniest things I've ever seen. And that's fine if the game was tagged at about 35 bucks. Yeah. But its effective price online, I'm looking right now, is about 60 bucks. Yeah. That's the cheapest you can get yeah. it. And that's just too much for this game. If I look yeah. at that and I compare it to, I don't know, Terraforming Mars or Gaia Project, or, right. or I mean, you're just getting a lot more game Which and components. Even those people complain about the prices also. Right. But, you know, I, I'll say one thing I, I didn't love this game especially in contrast to Lisboa, which we played the next day and enjoyed immensely more. Mm-hmm. Felt way more thematic, way more enjoyable of a Euro for me personally. But it is interesting to see Clans of Caledonia come out about the same time as Gaia Project because they're both riffs on Terra Mystica, which is one of right. the biggest Euro games out there. You know, one of the highest regarded games out there. And where Gaia Project went with a more ad stuff approach, Clans of Caledonia did try to reduce 
Terra Mystica down to some more key elements. And I have to laud the designers for that because they really had a clear vision of what they liked about Terra Mystica, and they amplified that. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not the game for me, but I do think it's an interesting riff on Terra Mystica. And if you've tried and enjoyed Terra Mystica and your tastes line up with these designers, you may try this game and love it way more than Terra Mystica. Yeah. Or you may find yourself going more towards Gaia Project, which adds even more. Or you may just find that you like Terra Mystica the best of the three. But I think it's interesting that those two kind of sequels came out at similar times because they're both a very different take on that classic game, which Mm -hmm. I think is interesting. Well, the game I am going to bring up that I had a play of is a game that I bought, so I didn't check it out of the library. And it's not a riff on anything I've ever seen. Okay. Side Reel Confidence. Oh, yeah. Side Reel Confidence. Sidecar Conference. <laughs> Stop, we've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Sidereal Confluence. Uh, Sidereal Confluence is... I, I, I'm going to echo what you'll hear from other reviewers. It's ugly, it's cheap. And I'm sorry, but this publisher sometimes has that reputation yep. of, of not putting yep, out yep, yep. the best best artwork, the best graphic design, and the best quality components. Yeah. And yet it's a game I would highly recommend because mm-hmm. the gameplay is just so interesting. Yeah. It, it is a negotiation game. It is a, okay, this came to mind, and I haven't heard anybody else compare it to, like, there are roots of Race for the Galaxy here. Interesting. But instead of, like, going through all this card stuff and paying for stuff, right? you're negotiating. You start with some cards that, that do an engine, and then yeah. you hit this negotiation phase and say, uh, I need some of these cubes to trigger this thing. You have some of those cubes. Right. What can I give you? And there are all sorts of interesting things you can trade. You can trade your cubes. You can trade cards right off the table. And what's kind of cool is you have cards that will only work for you and not for anybody else. Interesting. Um, sorry, they'll work for you. They're your cards. They can only belong to you, and they can't belong to somebody else, but you can loan them to them temporarily huh. for the production phase, after huh. which they give it back to you. That's cool. You can trade future promises. You can trade all. So this trading phase is so open-ended, and basically when everybody but one person is done trading, so you know if you just have that last person going, eh, how about me, how about me, right. everybody else is saying, sorry, we, yeah. we're kind of done here, um, then you go on to the production phase. Yeah. Um, and it is, I, I, I just, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Uh, the, the trading options are just so rich, so cool. The way that you can upgrade cards is really interesting. It's not at all intuitive. It right. took me about uh, an hour and a half through the rule book. And even then the first game was the, 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 the game that we played was a little bit bumpy, but everything I saw was just, right. Mwah. I mean, yeah. it was just, it, it, it is a. Okay, it's not like Sheriff of Nottingham where it gives you a minimal structure yeah. to negotiate over, but it gives you a really interesting engine building structure to negotiate over. Think a Euro game, but instead of like a phase where you're having to like divide up your components and figure out all the stuff you can buy, you're just saying, okay, what can I negotiate for? Yeah, My engine needs to be better. And the other yeah. thing I love is I heard about this and I was worried about the fact that th- there are so many different ways to build the engine that um, like – you just don't get hurt that hard if you miss out on what you don't need. Mm-hmm. And you can always find something secondary to bid for that, mm-hmm. that helps you enough. Mm-hmm. And so I was worried that it would have that overly point salad kind of feel that would right. make you feel like, well, then nothing I really do is important. 
but it actually kind of is. And then the final thing that's really cool is the whole theme of this game, by the way, is that you're all these alien races that are coming together to, to form this confluence, this this, uh, this kind of federation, right? So the whole, the whole idea is that um, everybody is everybody is trying to work together, right? But everybody's really in it to be the best. Everybody's got in the an federation. Angle. Everybody's yeah. got an angle. So when you build a technology, mm-hmm. that's a big deal, and you'll get you'll get major points for it in the points going around at the end mm-hmm. of the turn. But then everybody gets to take that technology out of their deck and, also and build it, it for free. <laughs> nice. So now they get to do the thing that's yeah. on that card. So it. Um, so in the end, it's it, it does kind of have that feel of like, yeah, we're all in this together, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm almost curious. like a darker Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, as someone who's pretty good at sweet talking himself, is this Lone Shark the board game, um, or should I go somewhere else for that? How much of the game is determined by your mm. ability just to strike the best deals? Versus making an engine. You have to be a good negotiator, but um, the negotiating in this game does not feel nearly as mean as it does in other games. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's forgiving because if right. you miss out on that thing you need, right. you do have other options. And because so, everybody needs something, it's not like you're going to have one guy who makes out like a bandit and a bunch of suckers. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of compromising. Right. And every race starts with their own special cards, their own special powers. Yeah. Um, although all the tech cards are are, are labeled the same, uh, um, so okay. um, those those special tech research technologies right, that you right. build that everybody gets to to do. But there there is enough variable power in in and yeah, there and every every race has a pretty strong opening ability. Interesting. So see now, I'm almost bitter. If I hadn't been playing Merchants and Marauders, I would have gotten up to play this game. Because I'm the one who sh- told you about this game. <laughs> and I've been dying to play it. And you bought it. You played it. So I would almost be bitter, except Merchants and Marauder- Marauders was so good that I can't hold it against you. But it's funny because this was probably the game going into the con that I was most hyped to you know, check out. And then you bought it. So I thought, perfect. And then didn't end up playing it. So, yeah. suffice it to say, I'm dying to play this with you. I'm dying to... You know how much I love negotiation games. You need you need four people in this game. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. Or nine. So, or nine, yeah. <laughs> it plays Is four it to, nine? to nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's just some crazy amount. All with unique asymmetric players. So. I mean, talk about a funky game filling a weird niche. But, but it's weird because the cards actually don't... don't necessarily need to be sleeved because there's nothing secret you never shuffle but i'm going to sleeve them because they're so darn flimsy and I, i'm uh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna ding it on the way out okay and then here i am at this at this convention and right. i go to put the game away it's just a very plain insert right they didn't even give you any ziploc bags nothing mm. to put anything in it's just it's just whiz kids i'm sorry whiz kids i just have to say it sometimes you're just not classy i yeah. mean you really aren't and and it's such a good game. It would have just taken a, just a couple of little extra steps. Yeah. Make the cards a little thicker. Put a nice little linen finish on them. Give me something I can own for years. Some of if, those classy Ziploc bags. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if this game if this game were not such a beast, it would be one I'd be tempted to redesign myself. Because oh, yeah. it just, I see the potential in it. Everything you say about it just makes me want to try it. Yeah. But man, does it look like a stick? It just looks terrible. So 
I'm going to shake things up here. I know okay. you said you wanted to wrap up, and we are pushing the time limit here. But before we go, I want to grab Steven's thoughts on a very unique game that we demoed and then later purchased mm-hmm. from Stronghold Games. Uh, this was not uh, R. Uh, Memo R. Memo is the new game Memoir. by Stronghold Games, and it's a memory game with pirates, I guess you could say. So, Steven, you were really good at this game. I was terrible at this game, but tell us what it's like. Um, well, talk about a loose theme. You can yeah. completely disregard the pirate theme. That's just True. for aesthetics. Uh, it's the best memory game I think there possibly can be. Mm-hmm. You have 25 cards, five different colors, five different animals, different combinations, obviously. Um, the, the way the game plays, one person, uh, you, you have the cards in a five by five grid in front of you. To start, everyone looks at three of the cards in the row that is in front of them. It's a two-to-four right. player game. So. Yeah. Um, then the first player flips over one of the cards, either that he looked at or that he didn't. The next player has to match either the color or the animal that's reflected on that card. Yeah. Um, if he successfully does, then play passes to the next player. If he doesn't, he's eliminated, and the next player mm-hmm. has to match whatever card he flipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, the last man standing each round gets... A loot card. Um, yeah. So to clarify, it's not eliminated from the game. No, just not the round. Just from the yeah. round. Just from the okay. round. And gotcha. there's what seven rounds, I think, or it depends Something on the player like that. count. Um, but, probably, but yeah. uh, each each round you get a little more loot uh, right. if you're the last man standing. So the, if you win the first round, like kudos to you, but you basically got lucky, right? <laughs> Which I love that because it is random when you don't know very. There's 25 cards. You've mm-hmm. only seen three. It's really hard to follow a card sometimes and find a matching color or animal. So I like that the first rounds are worthless because that's when you're all kind of learning the lay of the cards. And the reason the game gets good is because each round you play, you don't mix the cards around at all. You, right. The, the cards that you flipped over last round are in the exact same spot. And that's where the memory comes in. Yes. Uh, um, and this would be so hard for me. Oh yes. yeah. I was mediocre at it. Um, we played against some very, some very well-minded players. Some um, well, some good demoers. Yes. Lots of practice. Yes. <laughs> um, another, another mechanic that made it again, the best memory game I've ever played yeah. is that each of the animals has its own special ability. So if yep. you flip over a penguin, then you get to look at any card on the board, um, just to peek, just to peek at it. Yeah. And so that's information that you have for the future. Mm. If you flip over an octopus, you have to switch that octopus with a card in any cardinal direction. Um, so you, you start manipulating the board. You can screw yeah. with other players' memories and your own, inevitably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you flip over the walrus, oh, I and hate the walrus. Uh, this is great in the late game when everyone knows what's on the board. Everyone knows where, let's say, the green turtle is. Well, if you flip over a green walrus, you can say... You can't use that card next round to the next player. And he um, has to come up with some other card other right. than the one that yeah. everyone knows is the green turtle. Yeah. Um, the What else was there? Well, the, the crab made you have to play again. Right. So we would frequently see times when a player would flip over, quickly flip over all five crabs because they remember yes. where they were, but each crab mm-hmm. made them have to flip again. So they'd flip all five and then have to flip over a color. It's such a bittersweet moment <laughs> when you're trying to match one of the pink ones on the board and you flip it over and it's pink, but it's a crab, so you've got to go again. You have to do it again. 
and, and the turtle is the, the turtle's last just one. safe. He's just lucky to be yeah. there. He's got one hand on his heart, the other wiping his brow. <laughs> he's just glad he's not out. Yeah, um, there's no special ability for him. So, definitely a fun game. Not much yeah. to say there. Yeah. yeah. Man, talk about a fun premise that I am terrible at. <laughs> I demoed one game of this with you and Evan, Stephen, and, and the demo guy. I forget his name. Um, I was the first one out every single round. Mm-hmm. I did not have a head for remembering. As soon as we flipped those cards over, it was as if we had a blank slate. I remembered maybe uh. three, four cards tops. And so I was always the first one out. Meanwhile, uh, Stephen Bonacore is standing right there, and he's watching you and Evan go back and forth, revealing <laughs> the whole board. And he goes, "Man, these guys are like memoir sharks. You know, they're, they're flipping over the whole board. We never see that." And I'm thinking, yeah. "Yeah, I'm here making them look good because I'm out the first time every time." You know, I didn't score a single point, but that's okay because so it was wh- a good game. So why did I want the game so badly? Mm-hmm. I don't have a great memory. I hope to improve that with this game. And it's just fun. I can play it with anybody. My wife, she is not into games at all. The only game we have that I can convince her to play is Escape. She plays one round of that and then remembers why it's been so long because she's stressed (laughs) out. (laughs) But I think this game, it's just got the right amount of luck and memory and... Player on player action. It really is. Really is a great I know, role geeking out, but it's just so cool. Steven is such a cool guy. Classic. Yeah. He is just I mean, here he is, it's his own company, and he's like watching two Joes from yep. little Kansas City <laughs> playing this game and just yeah. kind of watching people. I mean, that's I think that's why. Yeah. I was looking at his lineup of games mm-hmm. on the table and I'm thinking, this is a guy who really has paid attention to what people like. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not saying everyone in that is a winner for me, but mm-hmm. But Steven really, I mean, he he watches people. Yeah. And I think that's, that makes him good. Mm-hmm. He's not separated from his yeah. customers. And actually, yeah, and having played this one, I'm actually stunned that it did not get nominated for Spiel. Spiel oh, yeah. It got recommended. Yeah. So it, it hit the short list of six or eight games that got recommended for the Spiel, which is no small accomplishment. I mean, hats off to Stronghold Games and the team there. I think it, it really should have had a shot at winning the, the award. It's yeah. exactly the sort of game that I think, you know, the average family could really have, because everyone knows memory. Everyone's yeah. played memory. And even if you have small children, you can play without the animal powers. Mm-hmm. You can just play the the game straight, which I might be better at because there's less <laughs> moving around and everything. But yeah, this is just a really good filler game, really intuitive rule set. I, I think this one's going to sell a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to do pretty well. I have only one more game in my Actually, two more games. Well, I'll blast through them quickly because I know we're, we're, okay, we're, yeah, running, we're running short on time. We're taking these good people's time. Clank in Space was the first game I played after we gave up on um, trying to get Panamax to the uh, table. I think you mean Clank in Space. You got to pronounce those. You have to pronounce the exclamation marks. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. I didn't Very do important. my exclamation but points. Even but though in space there would be no clanks, no sounds. That's true. But inside the ship, there would inside be the ship. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So and which is in space. So, uh-huh. see, it's, so okay. Clank in space. Yeah. So I really enjoyed this. I, yeah. And I like I list. I like deck builders. I like yeah, deck do. builders that have great ideas about how to manipulate other things and just the cards. Right. I think Clank does a really good job of that. Right. I don't think it's a perfect game. Uh, I've heard people say that they don't like Clank in space as much. And after playing it for one time, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Because I think it it 
fixes, it does some things to add, I wouldn't say fixes, mm-hmm. it just does some things to add additional tension. Mm-hmm. Like you, before you grab well, an artifact, you've got to visit two parts of the ship and trigger these little doors or something. Doors or computers yeah. or pieces or something. And that right there makes it makes it a lot more difficult. But then they sort of like right. balance that with adding these transporters and these lifts, but you've got it there's teleporter and this lift. Interesting. And so but it was harder to make it out. Yeah. I had a hard time making it um yeah. to the to the main wait, did you play this one with us? No, I didn't. Okay. I, I think most people's criticism is that it makes it more gamery. Would you agree with that? Because Clank is pretty intuitive. I mean to, to get up and running with, there's not that much going on where you could just teach it to someone. But Clank in Space adds a lot more, which does make yeah. it more satisfying, but might make it less accessible. Do you think that's that's fair? I think that's fair. I think I didn't feel that because I'd played Clank. Sure. And so then, then it's just explaining a few more rules, right. and then you're up and running. So if you think of it as like a standalone expansion, then it's really successful. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, could, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. The, the only thing that I would kind of ding it for a little bit is I, again dangling mechanics kill me it's like mm-hmm. when a game has a mechanic and it sort of never triggers doesn't this make whole sense. idea that you have sort of like one of these uh card types and then if you have an other card of that if you have a card that has an action of oh the faction type, faction yeah, kind of like uh, like star realms has they they for all of us mm-hmm. none of us i think in the entire game two of us triggered faction abilities interesting and i was just like so why are they even here then is really it doesn't. something you could do if you bought all of one faction and really leaned into that, tried to make that work. I guess so, but I think you would really be missing out on on useful cards. You don't have time yeah, to build yeah, all yeah. of one faction. You got to get boots, and you got to yeah. get swords, and you got to get yeah. you know, get to your artifact and get out of there. Really, they so, sell boots and swords in space. Interesting. Yes, <laughs> cool. I guess they're laser swords. So yeah, that well. was. And then the last one that I would say that I I I. I and was pleasantly surprised with. It was the last game we uh, of the yep. night. We only had about we an hour and a half the left. This one. No, 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 no. This is uh, on Friday night. Oh man, and you're so, putting three games in here. We're really, yeah, three we're games, really pushing the envelope here. Zombicide Black Plague. Oh, I yeah, know, was, I know. Was, yeah. It's popular to bash the zombies. Listen, the undead have feelings too, and the undead are not dead. They're still very much alive in the gaming. Okay, I'll stop it. But look, uh, Zombicide Black Plague was kind of cool. For one, I like the whole idea that it was set back in, like in medieval times. Yeah, and that was kind of cool, and that the plague sort of reanimated. These, I actually didn't know that. People. That actually elevates it a notch in my book. Yeah, yeah, and but uh, see, I have trouble with dungeon crawlers, and I have mm-hmm. I have a number of them, and I don't like them when they get too complicated. It's not that I don't understand Descent. It's just that I don't want to go through all those machinations to, yeah. to kill the guys. Yeah. Zombicide put just enough of a layer of complexity to give mm-hmm. me choices, yeah. but didn't take away the spirit of the dice-chucking right. slash at zombies. And you could do cool things like you had two hands, and so you could choose the two things, one to put in each hand, just like Munchkin. Right. And, um, but some of the some of the things had dual-wield symbols on them, so you could do a wield and... and you really had, like, one guy had the hammer to start right. with, but he's the only guy who could do two damage or more. And there were certain monsters that, that only he could kill. Only he could kill. Huh. And then your archers were really, you know, one guy was an archer, and he was really important to kind of have sort of sitting back and throwing into the room. Yeah. But so it it just, I see why people like this game. And I think it's right. popular to bash zombie games. I think it's popular to bash Zombicide even. I hear people say, oh, it's, you know, an old game. Old I I played it for the first time, and it felt fresh to me. So, I enjoyed it. To quote a Tim phrase, is this the 
Buddha, Buddha, Buddha game that you're looking for. <laughs> or I guess if it's medieval, it'd be the shing, shing, shing. Is this the fighting, just kill a bunch of minions game that you're looking for? It was close. It was close. It was close. Okay. So, well, very yeah. cool. But now we have to end. Got to wrap up. Okay. On the final game. This is the craziest game. As soon as I say the name, you're going to know what it is. Pitch car in 10 seconds. Wooden tracks that you put together. Modular tracks. Little wooden discs that you flick. First one to complete three laps around this track wins the game. You've got guardrails. You've got jumps. You've got curves. That's the whole game. We had just over an hour left in the con before the yep. library closed. Yep. Walked into the library and said, what can we check out that we can play in an hour? Yep. And we saw Pitch Car. It was like, yeah, let's try yeah. it. <laughs> oh, man. I was. Oh. <laughs> I've been wanting to try this one. It's just straight up fun. Just go find it. Go play it. I just told you the whole game. It's a flicking game, a race game. You take turns flicking. You make up house rules for what happens when you knock someone off the track or when you miss, you know, or you knock yourself off the track. You play the game. You have fun. You crown a winner. You play it again. It's just super fun. I wish it were. I wish it were more readily available, honestly, because I would mm-hmm. totally pick this one up. Now, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but okay, two, couple of big issues that I did see with the game. Yes, First okay. of all, there's there's the construction quality there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Throughout the game, as I mean, the whole point is that you're getting your hand down there on the track and flicking pieces. Well, as you're doing that. The, the wooden pieces are coming up and down, and uh, th- that big right. snags in the road. And I there were a few turns where I just flicked my piece, hit a very slight snag in the wooden just that stop. was completely beyond my control, <laughs> yeah. and boom, it yeah. flew off into yeah. oblivion. That yeah. was very frustrating. Yeah. Also, not infrequently would we flick a piece uh, against one of the plastic guardrails that slid into it, oh. and the plastic guardrail would pop out completely. Those so. guardrails were incredibly frustrating, and I'm not willing to forgive this game for that because this is an expensive game. It $77, is. was it? Yeah, well, that's discounted price. Yeah, oh, on places goodness. like Amazon yeah. stuff, the retail's much higher. So, okay, to put an umbrella up over my parade um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for a minute here, <laughs> I do think that, for one thing, we were playing a very well-loved copy. Yeah. So that's one thing. True, uh, true. The, the copy had suffered a lot of abuse. In fact, one of the pieces was missing and they had 3D printed a replacement, which I thought was really cool. So I think if you bought a brand new copy, you might see better luck with those things. I don't know, but mm-hmm. that's my gut sense. My other sense was if you get like a neoprene mat or even a carpet and you put the pieces on that, they might stay in place more. I think part of the issue was we were moving things as we were flicking mm-hmm. and creating those bumps. You know, they, the pieces do fit together, but they were sliding on that table, and that was maybe messing things up a little bit as well. Right, right. The, the table surface, I think, was a little bit uneven. I actually mm-hmm. found the quality of the wooden components and the interlocking yeah. very high. That was yeah. pretty good. It was yeah, the guardrail right. that was killing me. The, the right. only other thing I ding this game for just a little bit, I, I appreciate them keeping the rule set minimal, mm-hmm. but... It was too minimal. I'm not going to dig it for that. This is the type of game where you just, the first time you play it, you establish all the rules that you, all the edge cases that come up, and then you just, I mean, yeah, but it's but a flicking it, game. But it would have been cool if, because like the, the second rule set they gave with that elimination game, yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's that was true. cool that they That's added true. that. And they didn't provide all the context for that. That's true. Right. But folks, let me explain why Tim is upset with the, the minimalist, uh, rules of the game you got a very early lead mm-hmm. where the rest of us were in a pack and 
you had such a lead that we tried a few rounds to get that big flick and bank around a few corners in one shot. Yeah. And after a few tries of that, we realized, oh, we just need to take it slow and steady, which is what you had been doing ever since this <laughs> move one. So right. you got about a half a lap ahead of everyone and just stayed that way by playing safe. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that if... Um, we were to do it again and you were to be back there in the pack with people like knocking each other off, then... We See, would. I think that rule that we made where if you knock somebody else's piece off the track an but you're still able flick. to stay on, you get an extra flick. Yeah. That was cool. That, was cool. that gave it like a death car kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, thing to it. And, okay, the the things I said against it are, are minor compared to how much fun right. we exactly. had with this right. game. Exactly. The one picture that we took together at a, as a group was around this game. Oh, I took plenty of pictures, but you're right. As a, as a group of all of us, was, yes. was this game the yeah. highest that we yeah, were yeah. was around this game. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was our, it was our, yeah, uh, it was like the crowning moment of the of the con because it yeah. reduces gaming down to its most simple thing. Mm-hmm. Just being around fun. the table with a group of f- friends and just having fun, yeah, and laughing hilariously, yeah. and you know, trying to wail on each other and missing and failing yeah. and all sorts of crazy stuff it it just was a fun experience so yeah. uh, creators of pitch car uh, hats off hats off to you hats off for well that was pitch car and that was geekway so we have given you everything we have to give we've hope you we hope you have enjoyed this kind of two week mega mega episode of our geekway recap and our special guest, Stephen Hange, here from New York, specially to attend Geekway and now recording with us. Hey, we also mentioned Lisboa, Castellion, Ex Libris, Majesty in our last episode. So if you missed that by any chance, yeah, check it out. So this has been Get On Board. We'll be back next Monday with a new episode. You can find us on the web at www.getonboard.games or on Board Game Geek. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. This was Steven. Thanks for listening. 